0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You know, we live in a a growing community. When I first moved here several decades ago, there was about 68,000 people here, and now they tell me the population is more like 115,000. And when you are in a growing community, there is one thing you will always find, and that would be road construction barriers. Yeah, absolutely. You will find them in a growing community. And if you've been coming to Wildwood for a while, you'll know that even the roads approaching our facility for a while have had These road construction barriers. When you're in a growing community, it is a way of life. And when we see these road construction barriers, they're really sending a message. Uh, It may be, don't come this way. It may be closed. It may be the message, slow down, be prepared to stop. But whenever we see those kind of road construction barriers, our mind goes to, how am I supposed to navigate around this? How am I supposed to find a detour that will get me really where I want to go? A couple of weeks ago, we started our new fall series entitled FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity. And today is the third message in the series, which really is just a setup for the next 10 weeks. These first three messages have been setting a context, and next week, Lord willing, we will begin the very first frequently asked question, is there really a God? And if you've been with us in our series so far, you know that we began by talking about how everyone is valuable to God. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the most amazing thing is that God invites us to join Him in that process of seeking and saving those who are lost. And last week, we talked about two core principles. And the first principle was this, evangelism is a process. When anyone comes from their point being without Christ to trusting in Him as their rescuer from sin and judgment... There's always a number of many decisions that are made in that process. And not only many decisions, but there's multiple people who are sowing into that individual's life. And then the second core principle we looked at last time is that God is responsible for the results. We don't change hearts. We don't change lives. God is the one who does that. We're to be part of the process. We are to engage people but God is the one who does the results. We're to be involved in that process of helping to bring people one step closer to Christ. And last week we had a yellow handout and there's still some of them under chairs. If you missed last week and you didn't get one of these, I found this chart to be so helpful because it lays out all of these mini decisions that people make and how you might be able to be used in helping bring someone one step closer Christ, I found that very helpful, very motivational for me personally. You know what I find fascinating? Just as we face construction barriers as we drive through the city, so we often face barriers as we drive through life with people. As we seek to bring people one step closer to Christ, what we'll often encounter is are some barriers that are there. And people will put up a barrier when we try to talk to them, try to just bring them one step closer to Christ. And when they have that barrier up, the messages don't come this way. And the message may be closed, just back off a little bit. Now I don't know about you, but when someone puts that barrier up for me, I know what my first inclination is. My first inclination I'll I'll be very frank, is to just walk away, just to sort of dismiss them. You know, to think in my mind, hey, look, I'll talk to those who are obviously open. I don't have any time for this person who has this barrier up. When people put those barriers up, they're really sending us a message slow down, be prepared to stop, and they should make us think, how can I navigate around that barrier? So what we want to talk about today, we want to share with you are three common barriers that you might encounter as you interact with people. And the first common barrier is an emotional barrier. The second common barrier is an intellectual barrier, and the third common barrier is a volitional barrier. Now, look at those three barriers. Think about that road closed sign up. There's a different response that we are to have to each one of these barriers. And this morning, we're going to be looking at some Scripture that relate to each of these three common barriers. Now, there's some indicators, as you relate to people, that there may be a barrier up. And when you hear some of these things, or you you have this sense in someone's attitude, it's just a little indicator, oh, there's a barrier there. Like, you might hear someone say, you know what, I'm never going to set foot in a church. Not going to happen. There's an indicator there's a barrier there. Or someone might have the attitude, I have no interest at all in spiritual things. I can't buy that stuff. There's an indicator there's a barrier in place. Or someone might say, you know, Christians are hypocrites. I've got too many questions. All of those are indicators there's a barrier. So let's look at them. The first barrier is the emotional barrier. And the emotional barrier results from a bad experience that someone had. It may be a bad experience that someone had with someone who was naming the name of Christ who was a professing Christian. It may be a bad experience that they had with the organized church in some way. It could be either of those things, but it's a bad experience. Maybe if it was an individual, that individual who talked about being a Christian is someone who lied to them, someone who cheated someone who mistreated them, someone who stole something from them. And you can imagine, if you have that experience, you might put a little emotional barrier up. Maybe if it was an organized religion or even their conception of God himself, they might have concluded that those things are just unfair. God is unfair. God is unjust. The church is unjust. I don't like the way the church does things. And so this emotional barrier is up. Now, let me just illustrate um, what an emotional barrier might look like. I'm going to relate to you a, a real story that was told to me by someone who's in the construction industry. And on this particular job that his company was working with, he was really in the supervisory role on the job, and it was a job with a fairly large church in the metro area. And this church was doing an expansion on their facility. And you know how it works with a construction company. When there's a particular job, um, bids go out. We will pay this much or we require this much payment in order to do this job. And then eventually someone's bid is accepted. And then a contract is signed between the one doing the work and the one who's having the work done that says, we will pay X amount for X amount of work. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. But as often happens on jobs, the church, in particular, the pastor would come as they would had the agreed upon contract, and he would want to do some add-ons. We want some additional work that's beyond the original contract. Or at times they wanted some upgrades. We know the contract called for this. Type of a fixture. What we want is the next level up. And so as those things were being requested, it was communicated, well, if we do that add-on or, or we do that upgrade, it's going to cost more money. And the pastor said, we'll take care of that at the end. Don't worry about it. You just keep track of it and we'll settle up. So the pastor kept doing this a number of different times And he would approve what was going to be done with this particular individual who was supervising. And so when the whole project was done, of course, you had an agreement to pay on the base contract, but now you had all these add-ons and all these upgrades. And so this supervisor comes to the pastor's office and sits down with him and says, here's a summary of everything that we did that was additional, it was an upgrade, and I need you to sign that, and then we need the payment. It's going to be more than $20,000. And so he presents all this to the pastor, and here's the pastor's response. I can't sign that. You can't sign that? Why not? Well, I don't know who authorized all those things. You're the one who authorized these upgrades and add-ons. And then the pastor said, you know what? I am uncertain that you really even did those things. I really question that they ever really Happened. And ultimately, he refused to pay. And the church never paid the company for that work. Now, can you just imagine, put yourself in that situation? You can understand how someone would erect an emotional barrier. You want to talk to me about Jesus? You want to talk to me about churches? You want to talk to me about this kind of stuff? Wait a second, I've had this experience. I'm not interested at all. Because of my bad experience. These bad experiences can take multiple different kinds of forms. Another illustration would come from the life of C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian thinkers of our era. And he shares this experience in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. This is what happened to him. When C.S. Lewis was nine years old, his mother became seriously ill. And while C.S. Lewis didn't really know God, he knew that God was the one who was supposed to be in charge. And so he prayed for his mother to be healed. And his mother never recovered. And his mother died. And nine-year-old C.S. was deeply wounded by that. And he, as he grew up, rejected God. In fact, he became a flaming agnostic. You can, you can understand when someone has that experience and they have a certain perception of God, why they might erect an emotional barrier. You see how an emotional barrier results from a bad experience. And their stance that someone who has this emotional barrier will take is a stance of isolation. They want to isolate themselves from this so-called God. They want to isolate themselves from the church. They want to isolate themselves from people who call themselves Christians. Now, stop right there. How do we navigate around that barrier? Well, our response needs to be the response of cultivating a relationship with them. And historically, that's exactly what happened to C.S. Lewis. When he was in his early 30s at Oxford there were some Christians who came around him, and they sought to cultivate a relationship with him. And no doubt, he shared that emotional barrier with them. But they decided that they would navigate around that by cultivating this relationship. And so you had people like Tolkien and others who began to just, I'm sure they identified with him and said, I can imagine what it would be like when you're nine years old and you go through an experience like that. And and, and I know I would have said, I don't understand everything that God allows that happens in the universe. But as they cultivated a relationship with him, eventually, C.S. Lewis trusted in Christ and became one of the great Christian thinkers of our time. So when we, when we find ourselves facing an emotional barrier that comes from a bad experience and, and they want to isolate themselves, our response needs to be to cultivate a relationship with them. How do you do that? See, I'm a very practical person. How do you really cultivate a relationship with someone who has an emotional barrier up? We're going to suggest several ways that you do that. Number one, value them as a person. Ask about them. Listen attentively to them. Identify with them. And affirm when there's an opportunity. Can you imagine if I'm talking to someone who lost their mother at nine? I would say, I don't know how I would have felt. I probably would have been mad too. But you listen and you identify with and you affirm. Now, this is not manipulation. Uh, This is just showing genuine interest in somebody. And, And you can imagine if this supervisor came to me and said, you know, this is my bad experience over here. I would have said to him, man, I can't believe a pastor treated you like that. I was totally out of line. Not only did he what he did was immoral, it was really illegal. But but not all pastors are like that. Not all Christians are like that. So you just find out about it. You ask about it. You listen attentively. You identify with and affirm when the opportunity is there. Abraham Lincoln said this, if you would win a man to your cause, first convince him you are his sincere friend. I like that. How do we cultivate a relationship? Number one, value them as a person. Number two, find common ground with them. And I want to read from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 to 23, and I would just ask you, don't look it up in your own Bible but I'm going to put it up in the New Living Translation. It has a little bit of a fresh sound to it, but as I read through this, I want you to just think about the way Paul approached people and how he sought to find common ground with them. In verse 20 of chapter 9, it says this, "'When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew.'" to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. He said, I was finding common ground with them. Verse 21, When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I, too, live apart from that law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. He said, when I'm with the Gentiles, I want common ground with them. Then in verse 22, he says, when I am with those who are weak, those who are struggling and have difficulty, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Here comes the bottom line. Yes, he says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. We're going to cultivate a relationship. We need to find common ground. Now, I have a chart up on the screen here, and I want you to notice this chart. And the chart involves a A blue oval, which represents a believer's life. And then you'll notice there's a yellow oval, which represents a seeker's life. And then you'll notice that those ovals intersect, and the blue and the yellow become green, where there is common ground between the two. Now, here's what we tend to do we tend to get really fixated on the big contrast between the blue from a believer's life and the yellow from a seeker's life. We get riveted on that. For example, if if you are a believer, most likely on Sundays you get up relatively early and you go to church and you come to worship the Lord Jesus and you come to study his word and gain his perspective. But you take a a seeker, their Sunday life would be likely very different from that. Um, Maybe that's the super day to sleep in. You just lounge around in bed all morning long. Or maybe on Sunday you go, you play golf. Or maybe Sunday is casino day where we go to the casino. And what often happens with people is we want to understand them better. We want to maybe address a barrier in their life, but we get fixated on these differences. Well, I can't invite them to church because look what they're doing. They go to the casino on Sunday. What we need to do is change our focus to the areas of common ground. If we're going to cultivate a relationship with them, it may be a shared interest that we both have. It may be a shared background It may be a shared experience that we've gone through. This is one of the reasons why God allows certain experiences in our life, because it opens up the door to other people who have those experiences. Or maybe it's a shared life situation. We we both have kids, or we both have young kids, or we both have empty nests, or whatever it may be. And common ground can be found over things like sports, hobbies, cooking, uh, civic clubs, scouts. Maybe the arts and theater, maybe you both volunteer for an organization or you both volunteer at the hospital. But we need to find common ground, and we can do that with those at work. Think about the people that you work with. You can find common ground there. And I like what Tim Downs says. Tim is a friend of mine. We have spoken together, and he writes this. He says, when ministry in the marketplace is mentioned, it often sends a shudder down the spine of the working Christian. Why is that? He says that's because ministry in the marketplace usually translates as harvesting in the marketplace, which conjures up images of finding clever ways to present the entire gospel to each co-worker. And he goes on to say this. He says, although the workplace can be a difficult place to harvest, It's an ideal place to sow, and we can build common ground with people at work. You know, you can begin to do that by serving them on your job. You can begin to do that by praying for them and even asking if you can pray for them. You can invite them to come to your home in the off hours or invite them to go to the theater with you or whatever it may be. We need to find common ground. We need to find common ground not only with the people that we might work with, but common ground with people in our neighborhood and and people in our community. And again, you can do this around things like sports. I mean, we live in a dynamic sports community. And here we have the OU football launching. And one of the things that's been so easy to do with people when I I seek to find common ground is just start talking about OU football. And, And a great percentage of the people here want to talk about Things like that. We can do that with hobbies. We can can do that if we're involved in a civic club or, again, in the arts or the theater. So, how do we cultivate a relationship? Number one, we value them as a person. God does. Number two, we find common ground. Number three, I love this one, we ask questions. We ask questions. Someone came up with this idea. I love this picture. They said that questions are discussion doorknobs. They're like a discussion doorknob. They can open a door that's been closed and allow you access maybe to an area of someone's life that you didn't have access to right away. I like to say questions are your friends. When it comes to connecting and understanding people, questions are your friends. So the first barrier that we might run into is an emotional barrier. There is a second barrier that we may encounter, and that is the intellectual barrier. And the intellectual barrier results not from a bad experience necessarily, but from bad information. What do we mean by that? Well, maybe someone says, you know what, I, I watch television and I see those TV evangelists, and I see what they're doing. I see the way they manipulate audiences, and I I see how they're just promoting their own wealth, and they talk about health and wealth and everything, and I know that's what Christians are like. Or or someone might say, in terms of bad information, that they they got this in, in college, maybe when they were going to college, and they were in a college classroom, and they heard certain things about Christianity, bad information ultimately, and then it allows them to put up this intellectual barrier. Or maybe it's just something that they were taught growing up in their family situation. Maybe maybe it's just that they went to the movies and and they saw uh, something like the movie a few years ago, The Da Vinci Code, which does a lot to undermine Scripture. And someone could go to that and they just say, ah, I think the Bible, you can't trust the Bible, you know. How do you know? I watched The Da Vinci Code and I saw, you know, you know that's, it could be that. Or it could be maybe they got a book by a, a guy by the name of Bart Ehrman, and Bart Ehrman is a professor in North Carolina, and he has written a lot of books that question the Scriptures and the integrity and the veracity of the Bible. He's written books that question the person of Jesus, even. Or, or maybe they got bad information because they stay up late at night and they watch Bill Maher. And Bill Maher just likes to just get after Christianity, point out all the complete inconsistencies and the weaknesses of that. In fact, um, Bill Maher has put out a little documentary that he called Religious-less, Religious-less. It, it takes the word religion and the word ridiculous, and you get religious-less, Religious-less. It's just, you know, his way of just saying this is ridiculous. And people watch him, and they might get bad information. So this barrier results from bad information. The stance that people have when they have this barrier up is a stance of indifference. I'm just indifferent to the things of God, indifferent to the person of Jesus. And what is going to be, just freeze frame for a moment, how do we we navigate around that barrier? Well, our response needs to be, To research and respond. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter 3 15. 1 Peter is hanging around behind Hebrews and James and before 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in in the latter part of your New Testament. But 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And Peter is writing to the believing community here, and he gives us a tactic plan on how I believe we should address someone who has an intellectual barrier, and that is to research and respond. Notice what he says. He says, to those believers and to us, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you Yet with gentleness and reverence. Now, let's just summarize what he's really saying in this verse. He's telling us three things. Number one, we need to be dependent, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. We need to depend on him, we need him to lead us. Secondly, we need to be prepared. He says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. So we need to be dependent on him. We need to be prepared. But thirdly, we need to be sensitive and respectful. He says there, we do this with gentleness and reverence. Let me give you another passage. Colossians verses 5 and 6, Paul says there, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. What he's really saying is we need to avoid a judgmental attitude. And what I find fascinating is how easy it is for me to go into a judgmental attitude when someone is putting up an intellectual barrier. We need to avoid having a judgmental attitude towards them. And we need to avoid explosive phrases. You know, when when someone's giving us this little objection to Christianity, we go, you don't even know what you're talking about. Or only a fool would believe that. Any reasonable person, you know, would know better. That's ridiculous. I I can't even believe you bring that up. I, I can't even believe you think that to be the case. No. We're dependent, prepared, and we do it. With gentleness as we respond. And by the way, the questions that we're going to be covering the rest of the series, the rest of the next 10 weeks, in frequently asked questions, are questions that are found with those who have an intellectual barrier. We will be addressing intellectual barrier questions in the weeks to come. So the first barrier is an emotional barrier, the second barrier is an intellectual barrier. And we may encounter either of those. We're going to address particularly the second one in the next 10 weeks. But there's a third barrier that we will encounter, and that is the volitional barrier. And volition relates to one's will. And the volitional barrier results from, we could say, bad nature or the fact that we are all sinful and the Bible does an assessment of those who do not know Christ. And this was true of you and me before we knew Christ. And the assessment is very clear. Those who do not yet know the Lord are spiritually dead. Paul tells us that in Ephesians 2.1. He said, you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. The assessment is very clear for those who do not yet know Christ, that they are spiritually blind. We learned that from 2 Corinthians 4.4. We looked at that a little earlier in our series, that Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not know him so that they do not see the light of the gospel. This is the volitional barrier. And the third assessment of the Bible is that those apart from Christ who don't yet know him are captive. Turn with me. To 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. In verse 24 of 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, the Lord's bondservant, which is certainly a, a description of, of a spiritual leader, but we're all bondservants of Jesus Christ. So this is really to all of us, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Here we go, verse 25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. That's the idea we saw earlier. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Here we go, verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Having been held captive, by him to do his will. Men and women, an unbeliever is not the enemy. An unbeliever is a victim of the enemy. And those who are caught in this volitional barrier, their stance ultimately is that they are powerless. They can't do anything by themselves to get out of this at all. Okay, stop for a moment. So how do we navigate around that barrier? Well, our response needs to be to employ regular prayer. That's exactly what Paul does in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 when he talks about the nation of Israel. And he he lets us know there. He says, I'm in prayer for them. My prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And that's what we need to do when people are just behind this volitional barrier. And they are blind, and they are dead, and they are held captive to the enemy. And we need to pray to God for them, for their salvation. And so, we have three barriers. The emotional barrier from a bad experience, the intellectual barrier from bad information, and then the volitional barrier from a bad nature, maybe being dead, blind, and captive. So, we've looked at all of that. What do we do with it? You know, what kind of life response should we have? And I'm going to suggest two ways that we can all respond. That is invite and engage. What do I mean by that? Well, the invite refers to the next 10 weeks. For the next 10 weeks, we are going to actually look at and seek to answer these frequently asked questions. It's a great opportunity for you to invite your neighbors, invite your friends, invite your classmates, invite other people and say, hey, we're going to be taking on these questions. Would you like to come and hear some answers to these frequently asked questions? So we're, we're asking you to consider that, to invite people and to become a part of this series. And then the second, the second thing we can all do is to engage people in relationship. And um, we have another little handout. It's a tan-colored one that should be uh, under a chair near you. And you might grab this. And I would gra- I would encourage everyone to grab this because this is really valuable information. This stuff has meant a lot to me personally. This is, this is some of the most important stuff that I use when I'm cultivating a relationship with somebody. And... These are discussion doorknobs. Remember, it's a doorknob that might allow you to open a door and go into an area of someone's life you haven't had access to before. And I have it subtitled there, questions are your friends. And the basic guidelines are with these discussion doorknobs to ask about them and listen attentively. Someone sharing a, a hurt, you would want to listen carefully to that. If someone has bad information... Try to make sure you understand where they got that information from and what that information is. Identify and affirm when the opportunity is there and share your own experiences and your own spiritual story. I went through this. I went through a similar kind of thing, whatever it may be. But here we have, first of all, in three groupings, questions to initiate a relationship. Just when you're trying to get to know someone, tell me about your family, tell me about your background, tell me about your work, tell me about your school... And we listen attentively, seek to understand some things about them. Where did you grow up? Where have you lived? This next one is a question I like to use with people. What does fun look like to you? Just a way to to build a little relationship with them. Were you raised in a religious home? And then the second grouping, questions to gauge where someone is spiritually. These are really valuable and helpful. Do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Where are you on your spiritual journey? That's a very safe question to ask people. They will almost always answer that. What do you think happens after a person dies? It's fascinating to see what people think. Do you think there is a heaven and a hell? To you, who is Jesus? Great questions to gauge where someone is spiritually. And then You can move to the third area, questions to turn the conversation to Christ. This is where we really talk specifically about Jesus. If you died today, where would you go? How certain are you? What's the best gift you've ever received? And may I share mine with you? And of course, we're talking about the gift of salvation. Has anyone ever explained to you what Jesus came to do? May I? Would you be interested in hearing about how you can have a relationship with God? So we engage people with these discussion doorknobs. Now, while we're doing that, men and women, it's very important because this is what the apostle Paul did. We need to be praying about three things as we're cultivating this relationship. Number one, we need to pray for opportunity. Paul talked about that and asked for that prayer in Colossians 4 3. He said, Would you pray that God would open up a door of opportunity? And we need to pray for that. Secondly, we need to pray for clarity. Colossians 4 4. He said to those believers, Would you pray? I mean, this is the apostle. He said, Would you pray that I would make it clear? That I, I wouldn't muddy the waters? Great thing to pray as we engage people. And then thirdly, to pray for boldness. And he mentioned that to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, verse 19. To pray that I might share this message with boldness. Why is that that prayer request so important? Remember we talked about we had this tendency to just sort of pull back and we're reluctant to get involved. And we said the primary reason why is The F word, fear. And we're just acknowledging. We tend to get a little afraid to engage. And so we need to pray for boldness. The exciting thing is that God wants to use you and he wants to use me in this process. What a great privilege it is to be part of bringing people one step closer to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for just this great truth that we need to get our arms around and help us to realize that we will encounter some of these barriers. May we apply some of these principles so we can effectively navigate around them. And we pray for those who, who may come over these next 10 weeks that don't really know you as they hear some of these answers to some of these frequently asked questions. And we would pray, Father, that it would bring them one step closer to Christ. And may we see ourselves as part of the process, praying for opportunity, praying for clarity, and praying for the boldness to share more about the person of Christ. We thank you for allowing us to be part of the process, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And the good thing about it all is when we're doing this, God never never gives up on us, even when we fumble the ball. Cause your love never fades